So our series is called Epic. It's about people being on a mountain, talking with Jesus. Jesus brings a bunch of people up to a mountain and says, I am going to teach you the secrets of life. I'm going to teach you what it means to be blessed. Who's in Matthew chapter 5? Matthew chapter 5. Who's there? Who's there? Matthew chapter 5. Great. Okay. Go to the next slide, Christian. So to be blessed is the Greek word makairos. We're going to go over this every week until you get it. Makairos. What it means is happy or blissful, self-contained happiness. Jesus is like, hey, he brings a bunch of people up to a mountain and says, I'm going to teach you what it means to be happy. How many of you guys want to be happy? Raise your hand if you're like, I want to be happy. Is anyone like, no, I want to be sad? No, everyone's like, I want to be happy with my life. Jesus is like, I'm going to teach you what it means to be happy. So, Christian, let's show him what he says. Matthew 5, 7 through 8. This is the scripture we're going to be picking apart today. Jesus lifts up his hands like this and says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So, He's saying to them, you want to be happy? Let me tell you. You'll be happy if you're merciful. You'll be happy if you're, what was the other one? Go back. (laughs) Pure in heart. Okay, so bring it forward. So he's talking about being merciful. What does it mean to be merciful? Here's another word for you. We break it down. We look at what it means. This is elemone. That's how you say it in the Greek To be merciful means full of pity, merciful, compassionate, acting consistently with the revelation of God's covenant. I get really excited about breaking this down. Okay, so again, merciful, eleman, eleman, full of pity, merciful, compassion, acting consistently with the revelation of God's covenant. Okay, so... Who here has ever heard the definition of mercy? Mercy is getting what, or it's, um, mercy is not getting what you deserve. Has anyone ever heard that? That's like the, that's the common definition. That still stands, like that's a good definition. Mercy is like uh, when you're a little kid and you do something wrong and your parents are like, I'm gonna smack you. And then you're like, mercy. Like, and then they don't smack you. Th- and that's mercy. I heard a story, I mean, a lot of pastors use this. I don't have kids, so I can't use this, but, uh, I guess I could just use my parents. Okay, so example of my dad. There'd be times where me and my sister would be running around the house, knocking stuff over, eating crayons, stealing cookies, kicking puppies, doing all that stuff. And my dad would call us in. He'd be like, all right, guys, you messed up. Mom told me what happened. It's going down. We're just like, oh, no, dad. And, you know, we think the belt's coming off. We think we're going to get it. And dad goes, you know what? You deserve a spanking, but I'm not going to give it to you. We're like, what? That's crazy. He's like, you know what? I'm going to go buy you ice cream. What? That's mercy and grace. Mercy is I deserve a spanking. I didn't get it. Ice cream is I don't, that, or, I mean, not ice cream. That's not like a, the doctrine of ice cream. Grace is when you don't deserve something like ice cream and you get it anyway. So mercy and grace. Now, some people deserve what they get. Some people deserve (laughs) to be made fun of, like this guy. 
Have anyone seen this picture? Who saw our Crossroads contest on Facebook or Instagram, okay? Julia Brichette, you knocked it out of the water. I'm gonna, after the service, I'm gonna get you your prize. Um, it, don't, don't expect it to be that amazing. It's not as amazing as what you did. Like, I think your reward in itself is that amazing picture. No, I'm just kidding. Who deleted it? Oh my goodness, that Satanist, wow. No, I love him. Um, okay, <laughs> this guy though deserved to be made fun of because he, he did the, the big sin of the bathroom selfie. And this has been going on since MySpace. I have a few of these. If you look through my old hard drives, there's like some of me like with my long emo hair and like my skinny jeans. I'm just like, you know, <laughs> those exist. You'll never see them. Uh, but this guy, he did this picture and look what happened. His, his family members got in on it. They saw the picture and his brothers and his dad decided that they would make fun of him by taking the same picture. So just, just take a moment to, to bask in the glory of that. Um, <laughs> and then his sisters and mom got in on the action, and now we can add Julia to the collection. Julia, I think you did a better job than all the siblings, so that's pretty amazing. So some people, some people, <laughs> they deserve what they get. Uh, we can all agree. And then there's other people who, you know, we got to show some mercy to. We got to show some grace, like grandmas. Look at this grandma, okay? This, whoa, that's huge. I got to step over here. This grandma, she was uh, trying to talk to her grandkids, and she said, well, reading my Bible this morning, I discovered that today is Grandparents' Day. I just want to tell my grandchildren, Jen, Brian, Kelly, Kristen, Chris, Jeff, Lisa, Gina, Leslie, Lindy, Lindy, <laughs> Lindsay, that I love them and pray for them every day. Sincerely, Grandmaster Flash. Grandma doesn't know how to, yeah, she typed in grand and like clicked on the first thing that came up, so. Now kids are getting this creepy message from a guy named Grandmaster Flash. Uh, does anyone know who that guy is? I have no idea. He's some kind of rapper, DJ dude. Okay, so we show some mercy to Grandma, obviously, because we feel like she deserves it. Old people on social media, that's not a good thing. Um, you guys probably maybe even classify me as an old person, but I just remember when Facebook came out, it was like, this is the best thing ever. And now you go on Facebook and it's like grandma and mom and dad and like Uncle Jim posting political stuff. And you're just like, this is lame. Let's all go on Instagram. And that's kind of the progression of where we are now. Anyway, so <laughs> we should talk about mercy. We should talk about what mercy is. And as much as I could say about mercy to you, to try to describe it to you, as much as I could go on and tell you stories about mercy, I think the best thing we can do is turn to what the Bible says about mercy. So I want to tell you guys a story. You can go to the next slide. Okay, so I want you to look at this. Look at this picture, okay? Let me explain what's going on in this picture. I want you guys to really put yourself in the story, okay? So Jesus is a young rabbi teacher he's going around and he's becoming very popular with the people because he says things that no one else says he talks against authority uh, he says that god is the true authority and he goes to the religious leaders like the people who are like the pastors and the priests of the time and he challenges them in front of people so jesus is getting very popular with the people people are getting excited about jesus and what he has to say uh, now, the pastors and preachers and the Pharisees, the guys who are the ones who keep the law, the guys who are the ones who are very concerned about the law, it's not necessarily that they're bad guys. They follow God and they want to serve God, but they do it in a way that's very judgmental and mean towards other people. They kind of missed God's heart of love and focused only on the judgment. 
So they see Jesus as a threat to them. They're like, Jesus is going to come in, and he says he's the way, and he's the truth. We've got to stop him because we, he can't be the Messiah. The Messiah would follow order, and he'd respect us, and this guy can't be the way. So they want to stop Jesus. Jesus, of course, is God. He, of course, has come to save the world, so he's not going to let some Pharisees step in his way. But some Pharisees, they're, they're out to get him. They're out to trick Jesus. They're out to basically try to destroy him and catch him and trick him. So what happens is they find a woman, and I don't know how this worked, but they found her while she was committing adultery, while she was sleeping with someone who wasn't her husband. I don't know how, like, I don't know if they have, like, a radar that goes off when someone's doing it. They're like, oh, someone, oh, let's get them. Like, I don't know how that happened. Um, I personally think, and it's been said, that it was a plant. It was a setup. It was a sting operation. They got some guy, and they're like, hey, we want you to go to that woman, and when her husband's not home, we want you to go in. We'll pay you. If you try to trace this back to us, if you try to point the finger at us, no one's going to believe you because we're the religious leaders, but we're going to pay you off. You're going to go sleep with that lady. You get out of there by the time you hear the authorities coming and will arrest the woman. So they get this woman. They get a guy to come in and, and seduce her. She sleeps with a guy who's not her husband. The Pharisees come in and they like just they pull her like out of bed. It says she was caught in the act of adultery. So just imagine that like, she's got like a sheet wrapped around her and she's obviously like, I mean, how many of you guys in the middle of your sin? Like, whatever it is, fill in the blank. How many of you guys in the middle of your sin would love it if, like, the church, like, elders, like, burst into your room and they're like, oh, we caught you! And they grabbed you and, like, dragged you in front of the whole church. Like, look what they did! They've got, like, photographic evidence. Like, this is not a good situation for this lady. Like, this is shameful. This is hard. This is sad. And she's dragged in front of all the people and they throw her down. She's trying to cover herself up desperately. And, and then Jesus shows up and he's like, what's going on? And they're like, oh, teacher! Rabbi, so glad you're here. So glad you showed up. We need your opinion on this. Um, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. What should we do? Ooh, the law says we should stone her. What do you think, teacher? What do you think? And they asked him this because it was a trap, because they know the people are looking at Jesus. And they know that Jesus has come down to Israel, and Jesus is operating within the laws and the world that the Jews are in. He's a citizen, so he has to follow the rules. So they ask him. They're like, here's the rules. Moses' law says if someone's caught in adultery, we stone them. So we should stone this woman, right? And the woman's looking at Jesus, and she's just like, ah. and, and And Jesus, I mean, you have to think about the position he's in. Jesus is in a position where if he says, yeah, let's stone her, then all the people who've been following him and all the people who've been looking up to him are going to be like, he's just like the Pharisees. We thought you were different, Jesus. And the Pharisees know this. They're trying to get Jesus on their side. They're trying to pull him politically into their circle. They want him to be one of them. They also know that if Jesus is like, no, don't stone her, then everyone's going to be like, but Jesus, I thought you were a teacher of the law. I thought you knew the law. The law of Moses says we should stone her. So why aren't we stoning her? So it's a trap. Now, focus on the woman. I mean, think about that. Think about, again, whether you're a guy or girl, caught in your sin, dragged in front of a group of angry people, they start picking up rocks in their hands, and you know that your life is going to be over soon. And here's the reality about sin. Every single one of us deserves this. That's hard to imagine. It's hard to think. But the Bible says the wages of sin is death. It's blood. Blood has to be shed. A lot of people skip over the blood when they talk about the gospel. 
But that's the way God established it. And we're not, we're not ones to argue with God. God said life is so valuable and sin is such a disgrace to life that when sin happens, life must be taken and the blood is what covers the sin. That's why we did animal sacrifices. So sin equals death. And this woman knows it. She knows that death is coming for her. And Jesus is there and he's the only one who can do anything. So these guys start picking up stones. And they're getting ready, and they're just they're waiting for Jesus. They're like, they've got the stones in their hand. They're so ready to just obliterate this woman. With stoning, what they would do is they would pick up large boulders. they start with large boulders, and they would throw them at you until you had your bones broken. Then they would get smaller rocks, and they would just pummel you in the face until all life was gone for you. And this was a regular thing that happened. Like the church, the pastors, they would find people who were sinning, drag them out, stone them to death, and say, let that be a lesson to all of you. Don't let us catch you sinning or we'll stone you. And that's what, that's what it was. That, that was the execution of the law. That's what happened. So they've got the rocks in their hands. They're ready to throw. And they're looking at Jesus like, what should we do? And they're like, we've got him. We've got him. And the woman's just like, what do I do? But Jesus knows exactly what to do. Mercy. See, he starts out with a plan. He gets down on the ground, and he gets a stick, and he just starts drawing in the sand and writing in the sand. Now, he wasn't stalling. It wasn't like a filibuster. It wasn't like Jesus is just like, oh, picture time, and maybe they'll go away. That's not what happened. What a lot of people believe happened was Jesus started writing down specific things, specific sins, the name of maybe another man's wife, the time of the week that a certain thievery occurred, writing specific things, not incriminating anyone, not writing down anyone's name, but sins that Jesus knew that all the Pharisees had committed, because Jesus knows everything. He knows every sin. So just imagine that. You're a Pharisee. You're dragging out this woman. You're self-righteous. You know you've sinned, but no one's caught you in your sin, and you're ready to stone this woman, and Jesus is like, all right. And he's writing in the sand, and they look down, and they see the sins they've committed. And it says that after a while, Jesus didn't have to say a word. Every man dropped the stone and went away. So the whole crowd leaves. Everyone's just like, this is getting weird. He's writing down that thing that I did that I thought only I knew that I did. And I don't know how he knew the thing that I did, but he knows it, so I'm out of here. And they leave. And the woman's there, and she looks at Jesus, and he, he just comes down and puts his arm around her. And she's like, what happened? What happened? He goes, listen, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more, is what Jesus says. And it's, 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 it's mercy. She deserved death, just like I deserve death, just like you deserve death. And Jesus does what he does best. He comes down and says, hey, you don't deserve this pardon, but I'm going to give it to you. You can go to the next slide. Mercy is like an undeserved embrace. Who knows what I'm talking about? An undeserved embrace. Anybody? Okay, I'll, I'll tell you like what it means to me. When I was a kid, I remember there was times where I messed up really bad. Like times where I let down my parents so hard that I just thought they'd never look at me again. You know, I'd go into my parents' room, they caught me, I'd fess up, I'd cry, I'd see them look disappointed, I'd cry even more. I'd just be like, man, they probably hate me. I just remember this one time, I, my parents caught me, and I, I went in the room, told them everything. They were mad at me. They were bummed at me, and I left. I went to my room, and my dad shows up, just out of nowhere, just gives me a big hug, and just 
all of a sudden, like all that feeling of dread, like, oh, they hate me. They'll never forgive me. Like just all that washes away in, in, in an undeserved embrace. It's a hug that you don't deserve. That's what God does for us. That's grace. That's mercy. It's not smacking us around. We deserve it. Sometimes we get smacked around. As a Christian, sometimes I get punished for being a dummy. Sometimes I get punished for sinning. Sometimes God, uh, sometimes my sin, I can clearly see the, uh, the consequences in my life of my sin, the things that I do. Now it's like, oh man, now I missed out on that opportunity. Or oh man, now this part of my life is hard. And God's like, yeah, I'm punishing you for your sin. That's a good thing. I've said it before, but God's punishment, when you feel like God's coming to punish you, uh, you should think of it as not the siren of a police officer coming to arrest you, but a siren of an ambulance coming to heal you. The doctor has to hurt you before he heals you, right? The shot hurts going in. Punishment is a good thing. But God never just punishes us and says, you jerk, now go out and do better. No, he, he comes down to our level and he hugs us and he says, go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. He gives us an undeserved embrace. So, <clears throat> listen. There's nothing more comforting than an undeserved embrace. And that's what Jesus offers all of us. Because we've all sinned. We all deserve death. Anybody a Lord of the Rings fan? Yeah? Okay, so Gandalf, in a moment where Frodo's looking at Gollum, you know, Schmeagol, the weird albino loincloth freak, my precious, like he's looking at that guy, and Frodo's like, he deserves to die. And then Gandalf says, deserves it? I dare say he does. Many that live deserve death, and some that die deserve life. Can you give it to them? Then do not be so eager to deal out death and judgment, for even the very wise cannot see all ends. He's saying that we can't make the decision of who lives and who dies. It's not our job to judge. God extends mercy to everybody. God, we all deserve death. We all deserve to die. We all, like Gollum and Lord of the Rings, can cling to our sin and go, my precious. And, and people looking at us in our sin might look at us and go, well, they deserve death. They deserve judgment. But God says, who are you to say that? Only I can say that. And I say that they, beca not because they've earned it, but because I love them. They get mercy. They get grace. Guys, what you need to understand is that God is a hopeless romantic. He is just so passionately in love with you. He's just, oh, I love it. He looks at you and he's like, I don't care what you did. I don't care how you hurt me. I love you. The whole history, starting from Genesis to now to Revelation, is the story of God losing his family and then doing everything he can to win them back. He's like Liam Neeson in Taken. He just goes for it, and he will not let anything stop in his way. God is pursuing you. You need to know that today. God is, right now, whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're dealing with, you may be here, and you may just be wrought with guilt because you're sinning, and maybe you're addicted to some sort of sin, and you feel like you can't get out of it. And God says to you today, I hope you hear it, I love you. I forgive you. And the sin that you're in, I don't hate you for it. I want to heal you from it. God is so passionate about you. Max Lucado says, uh, mercy pardons us. It's like the, it's, 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 you were going to go to jail. Now you're pardoned. Your sins are forgiven. And grace woos and weds us. Grace does this. God does this. Grace is God walking into your world with a sparkle in his eye and an offer that's hard to resist. 
God looks at your world, and you, some of you guys think God's just up, and he's like, I can't believe you did that. can't believe you did that. I'm disappointed. Oh, you only read your Bible once this week. Couldn't do two. Jerk. Uh, I died for you. What's wrong with you? Like, some of us, we think of God in that way, and you need to understand that he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And he just wants a relationship with you. And that sometimes is the biggest obstacle in our life, is the inability to get to that relationship. Now, I want to ask you guys today, shift your thinking. Do you share God's heart of wanting to show mercy to people? Do you share God's heart of compassion? I want to introduce you to something called the buddy bench, okay? Take a look at this. Oh, go to the next one. Wait, where am I? I'm lost in my own study. Oh, slides are just out of order. Okay, here's the buddy bench, okay? This kid was so lonely and had so few friends at school that he invented something called the buddy bench. And it's a bench where you basically broadcast your loneliness by going to school and sitting on the buddy bench and telling everybody, hey, I'm lonely and I'm officially acknowledging it. If you would like to come and be my friend, you can come sit on the buddy bench. I'm guessing that not a lot of people come and sit on the buddy bench because they don't want people to look at them and think, I'm lame, I'm not cool. Here's the thing though, this is everywhere. This is everywhere. It's not officially called the buddy bench, but this is everywhere. It doesn't matter if you're a little kid or a high school student, all around you there are people who need someone to show them love and compassion. There are people around you who need love. Love that you can uniquely provide because you're a Christian and because you have God's love in your heart. You've been shown mercy. You've been shown grace. We need to show mercy to others. Now, some of you guys might, you know, you got to be careful. Some of you guys might be like, oh, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, People like this, they're unworthy. Maybe some of you guys are popular. It's okay to be popular. There's nothing wrong with being popular. Some of you guys have been given influence. You're so popular in your schools, and I'm not going to get up here and be like, it's, you know, the last shall be first. If you're popular, you better, like, be less popular, or, you know, because when you get to heaven, like, you're going to be at the back of the line, and all the people who are unpopular and lame, they're going to be at the front, worshiping, you're just going to be at the back, suffering, you'll probably go to hell. No, that's not, no, 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 that's dumb, okay? Popularity can be awesome. Rich people can be awesome, just like poor people can be awesome. God uses all of them. Popularity isn't you earned it because you're amazing and good-looking and talented. Popularity is a gift given by God. And some people are blessed by it. That's everything in your life. Your talents, your abilities, you've got to look at it like, this is something God gave me, and I have the ability to use it for his glory. So let's say you're popular. Start using your popularity for God's glory and find these guys and just love them. Not because you're like, oh, the peasants Looks like it's time for the royals to pay them a visit. No, like, like, just like realize that they are God's child. Realize that they're created in his image and love them. Because here's the thing. It's not that they're unworthy and we're showing them mercy. It's that we're all unworthy. We're all unworthy of anything. Everything that's good in your life is a blessing from God and a gift from God. Everything that's bad in your life is a trial that God will give you the strength to get through. It's all connected to him. It's not that you worked hard and you got good things because you're good. It's God is good, and he wants to bless you. And some people are going to be given popularity. I wasn't blessed with that. Some people are going to be given good looks in high school. 
wasn't popular with the ladies, didn't really, wasn't really that charming, didn't you know, really connect. I wasn't blessed with that. But you know what I could do? I could do art. That's something God blessed me with. Making videos and um, running sound and doing stuff like that. And so when I realized that God had given me certain gifts and abilities and that I could use them to bless other people and help other people and it wasn't all about being popular, God was able to use it. And I know a guy who I was really good friends with who was super popular, and he used that just to point everybody to Jesus. People looked at that guy, and they loved him because he was charismatic and charming and funny, but he didn't use that to go, ha, ha, everyone look at me, I'm so cool. But he, he, every opportunity this guy had, he, he used it to point people to Jesus. Guys, real, it's, it's exciting to know whether you're here and you're like, I'm super popular, or whether you're here and you're like, I'm not popular at all. You can use the position God has put you in your social school and status to bring God glory. Whether you're popular or unpopular, both things can be used to bring God glory. So let's go now to talk about mercy. Let's see what time it is. 11.45, okay. Um, Thank you, Christian. So we're looking at mercy again. Okay, this is the next part I want you guys to focus on, okay? And thanks for tracking with me. Mercy is acting consistently with the revelation of God's covenant. Look at that, okay? Acting consistently with the revelation of God's covenant. Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The next point I want to show you guys, Christian, it's a little bit down. It's after the buddy bench slide, but it's mercy is essential. Who knows what essential means? Anybody? Like, maybe you only know because, like, you have, like, your shampoo and it's, like, essential nutrients or something like that. I see that all the time. Okay, essential means, like, you've got to have it. It has to be there. Essential is like necessary. You need it to survive. Okay, listen, if you're a Christian, mercy has to be a part of your DNA. Mercy has to be a part of who you are. Okay, go back to the definition slide again. Merciful. Okay, so merciful, mercy, giving people what they don't, or not giving people what they deserve. It has to be a part of who you are as a Christian. Acting consistently with the revelation of God's covenant. Here's what it means. It means that you understand God's covenant with you, and that affects everything. What's God's covenant with you? Think about it. What's God's covenant? God's covenant with you is that he gave you mercy. He realized you deserve death. He realized you deserve judgment, but he died on the cross for you and for me, and he established a covenant where if you, a covenant's like an agreement. It's a pact. It's a handshake. So if you believe in Jesus and you believe in God, then you have a covenant with him where he says, I'm going to show you mercy, I'm not going to give you what you deserve, and I'm going to give you grace. So to be merciful means acting consistently with the revelation of God's covenant. That means that you understand, I'm saved, I'm forgiven, I'm given grace, so I need to show that to other people. And if you, like, if you filter all your actions through this covenant, think about it. What happens when... Dad promises you he's going to take you to a theme park. And then something comes up, and he blows it, and he got busy, and he didn't pay attention to you, which happens. Does that mean that you're going to be like, 
can't believe you. You're such a disappointment. You're such a disappointing father. Ugh, we don't hang out with mom. And you give him the cold shoulder. Is that what it means? Or do you act consistently with the revelation of God's covenant? You give him mercy. You say, hey, Jesus gave me so much mercy. I blow it all the time. Dad, I love you so much. Don't, it's okay. You can get it next time. We'll go another time. I love, do you want to just go get coffee? Let's just hang out, Dad. Wow, what would happen to our relationships if that's how it worked? What about your, your friend at school backstabs you? They just say the meanest thing. They are just like you find out the rumor comes around and, and they're just saying gnarly trash about you. What's the normal response? Be like, I don't have to deal with this. I'm going to go gossip about you. I'm going to spread some rumors about you. But if we act consistently with the revelation of God's covenant, we go, you know what? People said horrible things about Jesus. People ripped out his beard, crucified him on a cross. I play a part in this because my sin, listen, your sin put Jesus on the cross. My sin put Jesus on the cross. And God shows us mercy. Jesus says we must be merciful to one another. Religion without mercy is dead. You literally, guys, you literally cannot claim to follow Jesus and refuse to develop mercy in your heart. That's really important because this is what Jesus says, okay? Jesus tells a story. Go, I'm going to tell it really quick. Um, I'll, I'll, I don't need a slide for it. I can just tell it, okay? Jesus tells a story about a guy who goes to a king, and he owes this king 10,000 talents. That is basically 150 years worth of pay. So however many years you have to work to get that much money, 150. Like, so what's the average salary? Like $30,000 for like an average person these days. So 30,000 times 150 years. That's how much this guy owes a king. And he goes to the king. He's like, oh, I owe you all this money, but I can't pay you back. And the king says, well, it looks like we're going to have to sell your wife and your family and your kids and your possessions until you can pay me back. It's going to take you forever, and you're probably going to die while you're trying to pay me back. And you're parents or your, your kids and your wife are going to be slaves. And the guy freaks out and gets down on his knees and he's like, please, sir, please, sir. This is a story Jesus tells to illustrate the point. Jesus is sitting around the fire telling this to his disciples. And, and, and he says, the guy begs the king. He's like, please, please, please. And the king has compassion and mercy. And he says, you know what? Just forget about it. What? Yeah, yeah, just don't worry about it. I'll cover it. It's only 150 years worth of like yearly wages, I'll cover it. You're fine. Just go. Your wife is safe. Your kids are safe. Everything's good. And he sends the guy off. And the guy is like, yes, I've been forgiven. I'm free. And then he sees a guy on the street who owes him $200. And he says, hey, where's my money, punk? This guy's just been forgiven. He's like, where's my money? And the guy says, oh, I'm so sorry. I'll have it for you next week. Please forgive me. And the guy goes, that's not good. You know what? And he grabs him, drags him down to the courthouse, brings him to a judge and says, this guy was supposed to pay me last week, $200. He didn't. And, and the guy gets thrown in jail. And the king hears about this and he goes, you punk, I forgave you 150 years worth of wages and you won't forgive this person of this one thing? What is wrong with you? And he drags that guy into jail. It's a harsh story. Sometimes Jesus says harsh things. He says, if you're not willing to show mercy to others, then God's not going to show mercy to you. And I read that, and I was like, I don't know if I should say that. That's not very loving. That's not very... Would Jesus really say that? He totally did say that. Here's how I apply it to myself, guys, okay? I don't read that and go like, okay, so, oh, man, I got to forgive everybody all the time, just be freaking out about it, and like not 
struggle with my feelings. Like if Tony comes over to me and, and hits me in the face and I don't forgive him right away, then if I get hit by a car after I get hit in the face by Tony and I'm still mad at him, then I go to hell. No, no. Okay, listen. There's a difference between like going through the natural process of getting mad at somebody and kind of going through that and asking God to help you and struggling with your feelings and coming to a place of forgiveness. But there's a difference between that and just refusing to show mercy and forgiveness to other people. There's a difference between living your life where you just are like, I'm not going to forgive them. They know what they did. They know what they did. I'm not, there's no way. And you, and you live with bitterness and forgiveness in your heart forever and ever and ever. And you're, you refuse to even ask God to help. You refuse to even budge on it. You're just like, I'm not going to show mercy to people. Jesus really clearly says, if that's your DNA, you're someone who doesn't show mercy, then that's clear evidence that you don't have Jesus's DNA in your heart. So today, I mean, I'm just being real. Think about it. If you're just like living your life and you just are bitter and you just are not willing to forgive people, like let somebody know. Come talk to me or one of the counselors and we'll pray for you because we don't want you to be living with that bitterness in your heart. It is important to have mercy. Mercy is essential. Okay? So listen. Let's go on to the next part because I am running out of time and I'm all over the place, okay? It says, Matthew 5, 7 through 8. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You can't obtain mercy unless you're merciful. And guys, following Jesus, mercy will just be a side product. Just like if I'm an apple tree, the side product is I will grow apple fruits. I will not grow bananas or oranges. I will grow apples. If you're planted in Jesus, if you're like, I believe in Jesus, I follow Jesus, I struggle with sin, I have a hard time forgiving people sometimes, I struggle with it, but I know what I'm supposed to do, then eventually you're going to bear fruit. It's a process. Don't freak out, don't freak out, but just know that's a fruit of the Spirit, and you want to grow. So, pure in heart. I get really excited. I'm going to try to wrap this up in the next couple parts, but I get really excited about this next part. Pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. What did it say? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? Anybody? Go back to it, okay? Pay attention, pay attention. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They shall see God. Okay, go to the slide. Pure, the word for pure is katharos, which means clean, spotless, free from contamination or spiritual darkness. Now, this is a huge struggle for people your age because, listen, guys, impurity, that's like something that is not good, something that is not loving, something that is not kind, something that stumbles us, something that causes us to think things of an evil nature. A lot of times it can be a sexual nature for young people. It's a big struggle. That's one of the biggest struggles nowadays. I mean, it's more easy than ever to access impurity. Impurity is literally beamed in front of your face to a device that fits in your hand 24-7. You guys have unlimited access to impurity, and it is everywhere, and it's there even if you're not even looking for it. It comes up, and it's a big struggle. It's a big struggle. You can find so much darkness out there. I remember, uh, you guys know Robin Williams? Go to that slide, Christian. You know what he looks like? The guy, yeah. So this guy, Robin Williams, just died recently, right? So Robin Williams is like one of my favorite actors. He's inspirational to me. Um, I pray and I hope that he met Jesus before he died. I don't know if he did committed suicide, I hope that in his last moments, maybe he cried out to God. But this is a man, I mean, just, he's known for his kind eyes. 
And just in all the roles he's played, from the genie to uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, uh, Jacob the Liar, um, just so many good roles. Patch Adams, uh, my favorite, John Keating from the movie Dead Poet Society. He's just like this amazing teacher who just goes up and inspires people. Like, he's played so many people that I look up to and just go, oh, like, amazing. Like, this man has given so much life to these characters and these stories. And, and he has a family. He's got a daughter named Zelda, Zelda Williams. And she was actually named Zelda after the game. Him and Robin Williams and his wife, back in the day, were playing uh, on the classic Super Nintendo. They were playing Zelda Link to the Past. And they're like, well, we have a daughter. We're going to name her Zelda. So really cool, right? So Zelda is on Twitter. And after her dad dies, she's just posting some things about how sad she is about her dad dying. And what ends up happening is these people on the internet, just, just people, just like you and me, just normal people, but we all have potential for darkness, and the internet is a lot of times where that comes out. Just anonymous Twitter users, young males, thought it would be hilarious to take a picture of someone who was dead and Photoshop her dad's face onto the dead body and start sending her those pictures. So just imagine your father's just died, and she's getting all these pictures, of, of, and these guys just laughing at her. But guys, the thing is that darkness, we're all capable of it. And the internet is a lot of times where you can find there's a lot of darkness out there. If you want proof, go look at any YouTube video that has a black person in it. Just any black person just doing anything in a YouTube video and there will just be racist comments like for days. It is crazy the darkness and the sin that is in the human heart and we are, have more evidence of that now than we ever have before. And guys, my point is impurity is a fog. What does the verse say? Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who have a pure heart, for they shall see God. A lot of times, impurity is a fog that keeps you from seeing who God is and what he wants for your life and how much he loves you. And I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but you all know what impurity is, and you all have seen it. You've all been exposed to it. I'm not talking about just one kind of impurity. Guys, I am not at all. I had a pastor who was like, <clears throat> you better not listen to any music that's not Christian. Because if a Christian didn't write it, it's of the devil. And we asked him, well, what about happy birthday? And he's like, was that written by a Christian? We were like, no. And he's like, well, then it's of the devil, and you're going to burn for... Like, I had a guy like that. Okay, I'm not... I listen to secular music, full disclosure. I listen to secular music. I listen to Christian music. I think we have a much better selection now of Christian music than we did in the 90s. I grew up on the 90s. Brooklyn and I were actually listening to all the old 90s Christian bands. We listened to Rebecca St. James and... Um, what... I can't even remember the rest, but it was like Rebecca St. James and Christina, uh, somebody. We were listening to all these people, all these really old, cheesy 90s songs. Like, nowadays, we have really good bands, um, and I love it, but I listen to all kinds of music. I don't watch just Christian movies. I watch all kind of movies. I watch all kind of TV shows. I, I see stuff. I watch things. I, I am a functional person in society, but guys, impurity through music and through TV shows and movies has fogged my view of God, so much in my life. When I was young, it was one of the main ways that the things I was listening to and the things that I was watching and the things that I was viewing on TV would just create this fog. The people that you hang out with who are just spewing out impure things to the point where when that dirty joke comes up, you're the first person to laugh at it because you've been around it so much. Guys, impurity is a fog that keeps you from seeing what God has and who he is. And I want you to think, is there fog in your life? 
And just, just take inventory today. Is there something I'm watching? Is there something I'm listening to? Are there people I'm hanging around? Are there places I'm going on the internet that are fogging up my view of God and keeping me in sin? Here, here's the thing, guys. When it comes to dirt, the longer you're in the dirt, the dirtier you get. Does that make sense? If you fall into a mud pit for like a second, you'll get dirty. But if you're just living in there for months, you're going to be caked. There's going to be like dirt underneath your fingernails, up in your nostrils. Like if you're living in that mud pit, it's going to be hard to see anything because your eyes are going to be slathered over with mud. And Jesus says, I'm the cleaner. Come to me. Guys, very simply, one of the easiest ways to get clean from the, the world, from the fog, to, to see the light, is just go to the Lord. Not just here. Like, I can't clean you up. It's, I can't do that. I can't come here and be like, oh, right, you're perfect now. You're clean. You're all. Like, I can't do that. Jesus can. And my job, your, your job is not to make sure you show up to church every week because Aaron's going to change your life. Your job well, first of all, my job is to tell you about Jesus. Your job is to respond to that and go be with him. I'm just proclaiming him. I'm just preaching is just getting up and talking about the good news. The good news is that Jesus loves you and he died for you. The bad news is that impurity fogs up your ability to see Jesus. But the good news is that it doesn't take that much to have that fog cleared. The Bible says, how can a young man or woman keep his way pure? By keeping it according to the word of God. Look at the Bible, not as a textbook, not as a chore, but as a love letter to you. When you read it, your eyes are open. Now listen. Fog can be very pretty. Who agrees? Fog can be very pretty. I love a good fog in the morning. Fog can be very pretty, but a lot of times it can keep you from seeing amazing things. If you show up in Ireland on a morning where fog rolls in, you can't see anything, you're gonna be bummed out because you can't see this glorious sight. This is beautiful, I love this. These are just cliffs in Ireland. It's my dream to take Brooklyn and, and maybe our kids that I, we have one day like to Ireland and to just do missionary work there, tell people about Jesus. My hope is that some of you guys who've been with us since junior high and we've been walking with you and telling you about Jesus, my hope is that by the time we're ready to go to Ireland one day, that maybe we'd take some of you guys with us and start something over there. That's, it's, it's something that I just, I have this, this passion for. Now, we're talking about seeing. We're talking about fog being cleared up. Look at the word see. Okay, we're, just so you guys know if you're not tracking, these are Greek words. When you read the Bible, the Bible wasn't written in English, it was written in Hebrew and Greek. Sometimes when we look at these Greek words, we can see things that shed new light. So the word see is horeo, I think that's how you pronounce it, horeo, and it means to perceive, recognize, or experience. Now when I read this, experience is what really spoke out to me because guys, the verse says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Guys, God wants you to see him. He wants you to experience him. You can go to that next slide. God wants you to experience him. God is beautiful. God is big. God is amazing. And guys, I just don't want you to spend your whole life with your face down looking at your phone just like I spent a lot of my time, I mean, guys, I'm not judging you. I'm, I'm first generation, uh, I'm like the first generation of like the entertainment generation. Our parents, that wasn't them. 
Like they would go to the arcade once in a while. But guys, like to, for me, I was the first generation of people where it came to our houses. I remember the Nintendo Entertainment Center, uh, Super Nintendo, when that showed up, I didn't want to go outside. I just wanted to play Nintendo. Um, when the PCs came out, does anyone know what PC stands for? Personal computer. When the personal computer got delivered to my house, I just wanted to play my personal computer games personally all the time. And it was just, and that sounds way nerdier, but that's what we are now. It's, it's like, we, not only do we have games and entertainment, we can watch Netflix and Hulu and Instagram. Oh man, Instagram, Pinterest. We can just sit around and just look at what other, we look at the lives other people's are living constantly. And we can just, I mean, guys, I seriously, seriously, when I get home from work, you know what I want to do? I want to watch TV and I want to get on Instagram. I want to go on Facebook and I want to see what I, I I want to see what's going on in the digital world and the digital life. That's what I want to do. I'm there. I'm with you. But guys, listen. God wants you to experience him. We've gotten so narcissistic and so focused on ourselves. They did an article recently I read where like it was a bunch of teenagers who were taking funeral selfies, like going to grandma's funeral and like taking selfies like at the funeral. Like that's where we're at now. Like, that's the priority. It's self. It's me. It's got, I've got to put my best face forward. I've got to get a lot of followers. When Jesus is like, I just want you to follow me. I just want you to be in a relationship with me. Now, who here has a favorite band? Okay? Anybody have a favorite? No, seriously? Raise your hands. You all know you have favorite bands. Okay. I'm going to see my favorite guy today, Paul Stinkin McCartney of the Beatles. He's 70-something years old, and he still sings like he's 20. Listen, when I go to that show, it will be an experience. I will experience Paul McCartney. When you guys go to a band and a show, you have an experience. You're like, this is awesome. The lights, the music, the sound, this is so great. It's an experience, right? When you go to a movie, it's an experience. You're sitting in a room and you're, just, you're locked in. You're staring at that screen. You're experiencing that movie. How many of us are bummed that we have to experience it? How many of us are like, I guess I got to go to my favorite band. I guess I got to go watch them. I guess I got to go see that movie. Oh, I got to stare at this screen. No, we're stoked. Because we love that entertainment. We love that experience. We love that art. But guys, how many of us look at God in the way where it's like, Jesus, I am so excited to experience you. I'm so excited to sit down in a quiet place with my Bible, open it up, and just experience the beauty of who you are. And it's hard for me, guys. It's hard for me to find time because it's just there's so many distractions. Last night, my wife and I were hanging out, and she got on the phone with somebody, and I knew she was going to be talking on the phone for probably like maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes, and I was like, okay, I can Instagram, I can um, get on my computer, and God was just like, me, 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 spend time with me, come on, spend time with me, I love you, come spend time with me. I was like, okay, and I just went out on my deck, grabbed my Bible, and I just read for like 10 or 15 minutes, it was like, it, it was just, it was, it was like an experience for my soul. It was beautiful, and it was amazing, and I was reminded of God's grace. I was reminded of his blood. I was reminded of his love for me, and guys, these experiences are waiting for you, but they're not as flashy, and they're not as attractive as what the world offers you, but they're so much more rich, and they're so much more deep, and they're so much more amazing. God wants you to experience him. I'm going to close with 
I'm going to close with uh, just one pretty cool illustration. It's a video, okay? Now, before we play it, before we play it, I want to uh, tell you what it is, okay? Who here has seen Star Wars? Okay? All right. Who here loves Star Wars? Yes. I'm in good company. Okay. Uh, really, Lauren? No? You don't love... <sighs> no! Oh, man. You got to come over sometime and we'll watch Star Wars. Um, but, okay, guys, listen, listen, okay? So, Star Wars is amazing. It's, a, it's like a romantic cowboy western space battle knight in shining armor tale of glory. There's an evil empire trying to destroy planets, trying to actually blow up planets, and you've got a farm boy, Luke Skywalker, you've got a, a renegade uh, mercenary, Han Solo, and an intergalactic princess, Princess Leia, who all come together to fight evil and save the universe. It's, it's glorious. I love it, okay? One of the things that makes Star Wars so glorious is the score. It's the music by John Williams. It's just fantastic. When you have, who agrees that music is very important to movies? When you have music in a movie, it, it moves you. It, it, uh, you can watch a scene, and, and the music is what will cause you a lot of times to, to tear up and sniffle at those right moments. When those violin strings come in, or our music can lift you up and cause you to feel triumphant, or music can cause you to feel sad and, and burdened, but music is so important. So what these guys did was they took a very... Um, popular scene from Star Wars at the end of the movie where it's just triumphant, there's this award ceremony, and they walk down the aisle and they're given their gold medals, and normally there's this amazing music playing in the background, but they took the music out, and it's amazing. So go ahead and play it, Christian. Make sure the volume. In a world. I want you guys to understand this. I want to tie it all together, okay? Listen, listen, listen. 
How awkward was that? Who can agree that was really, really awkward? Like unsettling. Like they seemed so insincere. Like, like they didn't even feel like they deserved those words. They're all just like, hey, here's your award. Like it was just so lame, so insincere. With the music playing, it's like epic. It's like, and then like you're listening and you're watching, you're just like, this is so amazing and magnificent. I feel, I feel things. But, but without the music, there's nothing there. Now listen, guys. A lot of you, at times in your life, you're going to lose the music. You're going to lose the music in your heart. What I mean by that is you're not going to be seeing God. You're not going to be experiencing God because there's fog in your life. Maybe it's because you haven't been showing mercy and you have that bitterness. Or maybe it's just sins and the fog has just blinded you to who God is, and you can't hear the melody of God's heart anymore. And guys, when you show up on a Sunday morning and there's not music in your heart, what I mean by that is when you're here and you're singing and you're singing with them and they're singing and you're singing, but there's nothing in the heart. There's no thankfulness for God. There's no uh, just honesty about your sins. There's no just just desperation like, Jesus, I need you. I'm here at church today because I need you. I'm singing this song because I acknowledge you're amazing. When it's just, Lord, I give you my heart. And that's all it is. And there's no music in your soul. You're not going to experience God for who he is. And God is a beautiful musician. And I just want to invite you right now, as we sing this song, to experience the music. And it's very simple. All you have to do is just tell God how you feel before you start singing. You just have to say, Lord, I love you. Lord, I need you. God, I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm confessing my sins to you. I've messed up. I've made mistakes. But God, I need you so much. I need you so desperately. I just say, ask God to wake something up in your hearts today because we all need that wake-up call. That's what I'm doing today. It's a wake-up call. Ask God for help. Ask him to speak to you and ask him just to turn up that music in your heart and just so you can hear that melody and you can hear who he is and you can see his plan for you and his love for you and his mercy for you. Ask him today to do that. And I promise you, if you ask with a clear heart and a good heart, he will do those things for you. No matter what your sin, no matter who you are, what you've done, God wants you to hear that music in your heart today. So let's worship him right now. We pray for us, Lauren. God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for loving us so endlessly um, and unconditionally. And I pray that we would in turn um, learn to love other people as you love us and show mercy as you show mercy to us. Um, because when we look at you and um, just the forgiveness that you've given us, how can we not turn to others, no matter what they've done, and just love on them and be so kind to them? So I pray that you would just give us that perspective today and that we would in turn just um, pour out your love onto everyone that we encounter and everyone that we talk to and see and um, just go about our days walking through the halls at school and um, seeing at church. Um, just show us how to love. 